Good morning again. As I mentioned, we are continuing our One Another's series this morning. And today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. This will be on the screen behind us. I invite you to go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to read 1 Peter 4, verse 7 through 9, just to kind of set our context for what we're looking at today. So beginning in 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The word of the Lord says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the way it guides us each day. I pray that you would guide us as we study it together. Help us to be a more hospitable people. Help us to explore the depths of what this word means and consider this call and help us to answer it faithfully. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. Some of you may be familiar with the story of Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, She recently wrote a book on hospitality Uh, The fact that she wrote a book on how Christians could show hospitality to others is quite remarkable when you know her background. Uh, Some 15 years ago, Rosaria was a professor at Syracuse University. She was an irreligious person uh, living far from the Lord and rejecting him in every way imaginable. And she decided to study, just kind of as a scholar, as an academic, she decided to study what makes religious people so mean? Why, are, why is uh, the, the religious right, why do they use their Bibles to treat other people poorly? And so she wrote this little editorial. It showed up in the local newspaper. She got a bunch of feedback, among which included a letter from a local pastor and his wife that said, we'd love to have, have you over for dinner and tell you more about that. And so pretty soon she went to the, to the home of this pastor and his wife uh, they had a nice meal together. She, she said, you know, what was remarkable is they didn't try to share the gospel with me. They, they didn't try to invite me to church. They didn't try to offer up judgment on my lifestyle at the time. They were just kind to me. They were just good neighbors to me. And they continued to be. At the end of the night, uh, they both gave her a hug and they said, we'd love to do this again next week. And so she started coming to their home weekly. She said it was two years before she ever came to their church. But eventually she came to the Lord. And now, some 10, 15 years later, uh, she has a family, she's married, she has a family, uh, and she's writing books seeking to guide other believers into how to show this kind of hospitality. As she was going through that journey, she said, the way this family practiced hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology they were teaching. That's what hospitality is. It's taking the truth of God's word and it's making it accessible to other people by inviting them in and treating them with neighborly love. So today we're going to look at that biblical call to be hospitable and also talk about some of the challenges we run into as we try to put this into practice. Now, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think of hospitality. We're in the South, so I know everyone has something in their head already when we say the words, uh, be hospitable. Uh, for some of you, you're, uh, you're immediately thinking of spending hours on Pinterest trying to figure out the perfect plan for an evening. 
Others of you are envisioning some uh, cover to a Southern Living magazine with a perfect centerpiece and this perfectly cooked food and everything organized in this perfect way. Some of you, as you hear the word, it just exhausts you immediately. You think maybe for some, but not me. Uh, this is, it's just too hard for me. It's too much. I just have no desire for that. Some of you may be thinking, why is he talking about hospitality on Father's Day? Is this, isn't that kind of for women? Right? We'll get back to that in a minute. But let me just start by saying this. Hospitality is not the same as entertaining. It's not the same thing as entertaining people. Uh, there's a great article you can find on the Gospel Coalition website by a lady named Jen Wilkin. And it bears that title. Hospitality is not the same as entertaining. And in that, she talks about the difference between the two. And she says it's basically this. Entertaining is all about the person who is hosting. It's about setting things up and preparing the perfect meal, making sure all the throw pillows are in place, making sure everything's on time, and making sure that you demonstrate to whoever comes into your home that you have your act together, right? So it's not ultimately about serving those people. It's about serving yourself and making yourself look like a good host or hostess. Ho uh, hospitality, on the other hand, she says, is all about the guest, it's about making their experience good. It's about showing kindness to them. It's about being a good neighbor. And if everything's not perfect, it's not perfect, right? If, if, you, if you burn the rolls because you're hearing a good story, she says, you just laugh about it and you sit down without any trouble because hospitality is not the same as entertaining. Uh, in, in the ancient world, hospitality was a real virtue in part because of the absence of options. Think about the time when Peter's writing these words to the church in the first century Roman world. Uh, if people are traveling through the world at the time, uh, they, they can't just pull in through a drive-through and look up a hotel on Priceline, right? They, they have to plan ahead, and they really have to hope on the kindness of relative strangers in order to be able to eat and lodge their way across the Roman world. Now, we don't really have that issue so much in our day now, but it's, it's not that far-fetched to remember a time in our own country when certain people would have to think just like that. Uh, a couple years ago, I read a book called The Warmth of Other Suns. Uh, it's about um, the, um, the migration of African Americans from the South to other parts of the country in between the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement. And one of the things that really kind of captured my attention as a, a white man who has never had to think about this was just recognizing that many of these folks as they began to plan their departure from a place where they were not finding jobs, where they were having trouble caring for their family and providing for those whom they loved, and they began to set out for greener grass and further places, they had to be really strategic about where they stopped and where they didn't. And so you, would, you might set out from a place like Columbia, going to a place like California. There was a story in the book that, that involved a family moving from Georgia to California. And you had to know before you left, where are the communities where I might find people like me, who are sympathetic to me, where I could find food, where I could find lodging? And where are the communities that I might need to steer clear of, even if it means going the long way around? That was a reality in our own country not long ago. And it's kind of similar to the reality of first century Rome, the Roman world that uh, Peter was writing into. He's writing to Christians who are under persecution really a societal outcast. Uh, he's trying to encourage them through this letter to be steadfast in the midst of their suffering. So keep on going, 
stayed true to the mission. And as a part of that, he's concerned that they continue to be hospitable to one another. It's almost like he's saying to them, keep showing hospitality, even in this hostile environment, because it is worth the risk. Hospitality is that important. It's central to the mission of God. So we have to ask ourselves, why? Why would Peter mention this in the context of this situation? It's interesting if you look at the the passage there in verse 7. The part we read begins with this statement. The end of all things is at hand. Now that, that language may strike us as a bit odd. When we hear this kind of proclamation that the end is near, we start thinking of people with tinfoil hats and underground bunkers and claiming that the end is coming and foolish predictions about which recently elected official is actually the Antichrist and things like that. But this idea that there's an imminent end to all things is actually a sober and godly outlook on life. And I think it's one we need to recover in large part. Peter's not making a prediction here. He's not setting a date and time. He's just simply recognizing that all the major events of God's plan for redemption that he's revealed to us in his word have occurred. So in that sense, Jesus' return is imminent. It could happen at any time. It was imminent in the first century, and it's certainly imminent now in the 21st century. Now, this is important if you're suffering. This gives you hope in the face of your pain and difficulties. They will not go on forever. In fact, they could end at any moment. Jesus could come back at any time, and all the pain and misery that is weighing you down this morning could come to an end immediately, should the Lord so choose. But it also kind of increases our urgency, right? The idea is the time is short. The end of all things is at hand. So pray fervently, Peter says, love earnestly, and show hospitality to one another. It's, it's actually the same logic as um, that Jason Isbell song, If We Were Vampires. Are you guys familiar with that? Uh, Jason Isbell is a country music guy. Um, this is, this is going to be cool to like three of you, and the rest of you are going to think it's weird. Uh, he has a song called If We Were Vampires, which is an odd title, but I think a very intelligent song. Here's, here's the point. He's, he's singing to his wife, and he says, you know, if we were vampires, and what he means by that is, if, if we lived forever and nothing changed, he says, you know, I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand. I'd be tempted to allow my love to be kind of lackadaisical. Right? If we were just going to go on forever like this and nothing were going to change, then you know, we'd just kind of take our time and love when we felt like it and not love when we weren't feeling up to it. But, he says in the song, knowing this can't go on forever, it causes me to look to this person I care about differently. He starts thinking about his spouse. And he says, you know, in reality, there's going to be a day in all likelihood where one of us is alone without the other one. He says, that makes me want to be a good husband. That makes me want to care for her. It's a sweet song, and it's actually the exact same point that Peter's making in chapter 4 here. The time is short. The end of all things is at hand. So let's love zealously. Let's show hospitality without any hesitation because we never know when our Lord might return. And we don't have much time left to show love to our neighbors. This command is found uh, throughout the New Testament. I want to just reference a couple other passages. Maybe you can take them down in your notes 
and look at them later, just to kind of fill out the idea of what this call looks like. Uh, Romans 12, verse 13 says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I think that command reminds us that hospitality is rooted in generosity. It's not self-serving. It always requires sacrifice. It always costs us something. And then Hebrews 13, 2, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Right, so that's a reminder that our hospitality should include both friends and people we know well, as well as people that we want to get to know, right? people that would be relative strangers to us. That is, as Christians, we should expand our guest list strategically. I think one practical way that we can do this as a church is when we gather every Sunday morning, we pay attention to the folks in the room, and we approach people that we don't recognize with some intentionality, Right? I mean, we want to look around the room and we want to not just think about where are my friends whom I haven't seen in a few days, but also where might there be some people in our midst, even, even now, who are new or maybe whom I just don't know very well. And how could I approach them and welcome them and show them the love of a neighbor even this morning? Maybe that's coming to get to know them this morning. Maybe that's talking to them after the service. Maybe that's inviting them over for dinner. Right? And we may have some guests among us this morning. I apologize if you get rushed after the service. Uh, but I think that would be better than you sitting here with us all morning and no one talking to you. Right? I would love it if we had a reputation as a church. You know, when you go to Midlands, if you go there on Sunday morning, you're likely going to end up at somebody's house for dinner on Sunday night because the people are just so welcoming. They're so hospitable to strangers. That's what Hebrews 13.2 is talking about. And then 1 Timothy 3 uh, in verse 2, and then the same command is repeated in Titus 1. It's not actually a command. It's given in the form of a qualification. This is in the, those passages in the pastoral epistles where Paul is telling Timothy how to pick an elder. That is, these are qualifications for a pastor. So lest we think hospitality is just for ladies, obviously it's not because Peter and the author of Hebrews are addressing the church as a whole. He commands all Christians to be hospitable. But then Paul says, this is central to being a good pastor. You can't be a good pastor if you're not a hospitable person. An overseer must be hospitable. So some of you are training to be pastors. Take note of this. Recognize that this is part of the call. Men, fathers among us today, this is a mark of a godly man. And I think some of us need to hear this because sometimes the man in the house can be the obstruction to the family's faithfulness in this command. I think I've been at work all day. I've been dealing with people all day. The last thing I want to do is come home and have more people show up in my house. I'd kind of like to just kick back and have some space. But again, this is characteristic of a godly pastor. It's a mark of a godly man. And Paul says you need to be looking for that in the people that you would appoint as your pastors. Some of us will eventually leave Midlands and go on to other places and find new churches. Uh, when you get to that point in your life, uh, whatever that may look like for you, I want to encourage you, keep this in mind as you're considering other churches. You're not just choosing a church, you're choosing a pastor and a group of pastors to guide you and shepherd you. And one of the things you ought to be asking is, are the pastors here hospitable to their people? I think many pastors have lost sight of this, frankly. Uh, there's kind of a division in our day and age between the workplace and the home. 
that gets kind of drug over into the world of the church. And I've heard pastors say, you know, I don't have a lot of people from my church in my home because I don't want to bring work home with me. I don't want to protect my family. That sounds well and good, and there may be a sentiment to where that is helpful, but we have to be careful that we're not using that as justification for neglecting our people. Your pastor's home ought to be open to you. It ought to be a place where you can come. It ought to be a refuge. It ought to be a place where you are welcome. If you're visiting a church and none of the people there have ever been to the pastor's home, I would question how much that pastor's committed to actually caring for those people. So hospitality, you see in these different passages, it's a biblical command. It's a command given to all believers. It's even to the point of being a qualification for pastors. But I want to be practical. Hospitality is hard. It's not easy to to do these things. Uh, So, you know, opening your home, preparing a meal, if that's a part of it, sacrificing time and resources. For, For many of us, stepping outside of our personality, it requires a certain posture of the heart that recognizes this is something God has called me to do. So I want us to think for a moment about some of the obstacles we may have to overcome in order to be obedient to this command. I've got four, just four challenges you're going to face as you think about being hospitable. Number one is expenses. All right, so hospitality is costly. It costs you money. You're preparing a meal. You've got to cook for extra people. You've got to buy that food somehow. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you energy. Some of you will deem it to be too much work. I want to remind you, obedience always requires sacrifice. It always requires intentionality. It always requires us looking to the Lord and the things he has commanded of us and recognizing this path is good for me, even if it's not the path I want, even if it's not the path I feel most comfortable in. So don't allow expenses to become an excuse for not being hospitable. Now, at the same time, don't overwhelm yourself. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to hear this sermon and think, you know, the, the path to obedience here looks like every single night this week, I've got to have a person at my table who is not a member of the family, otherwise I'm being disobedient to the New Testament. That's, that's not the idea. It's more about a posture of the heart that says my home is open to others, and I'm going to be strategic and intentional to take whatever opportunities I can to obey this. If you're married, you got to figure out how to do this with a spouse who in all likelihood is going to have a different capacity for this than you are. And so if two people are married and one of them is an extreme extrovert, they'd love to host every single night, and the other one is an introvert and says, you know, I, I've got maybe once a month, a couple times a month in me, and, and anything beyond that overwhelms me, I would encourage you to let the person with the lowest capacity set the pace. I think that's a fair and wise course. And you constantly want to be challenging each other right? But you don't want to just say, okay, well, the pastor said we've got to be hospitable. That means, you know, five nights a week we're going to have somebody over in our home. You want to be realistic. Uh, but don't let expenses and time, money, energy become an excuse, all right? A second obstacle you run into are limit- limitations. Second set of obstacles, limitations. So I want to be honest here. Certain seasons are genuinely difficult and make it hard to be hospitable. Uh, if you have a new baby in your home, as a, several of you do right now, uh, it's, it's probably not a time in your life when you're going to be having a lot of extra people over. That's wise, right? You've got a baby you want to protect and keep healthy. Uh, you guys know our 
situation with, with Anna. She has a compromised immune system. There are months of the year where we have to be very careful about whom we put in front of her and making sure they are healthy. It's kind of awkward to have to ask those questions and, and sort of filter people out before we can let them in our home. But the reality is we've been entrusted with a little girl that's got a compromised immune system. So we have to be good stewards of that while also trying to be creative with, with how we obey this kind of command. Because this command here does not come with any sort of exception clause. So you've got to figure it out in some way and just be honest. Your circumstances may limit you, but recognize that the Lord is not limited in how he can use you. When you can't host frequently, think about how can we host strategically? How can we make the most of the time we have? Whether we're held back by some season of life or by some circumstance that we can't control. So limitations are going to be a challenge. Just don't let them become an excuse. The third set of challenges is what we might call insecurities. Insecurities. This is when you convince yourself that you have nothing to offer to anyone else, right? My house is too small. They wouldn't want to come anyway. I'm too old. I'm too young. Not cool enough. I don't have enough kids. I've got too many kids. You know, we can all kind of come up with these ideas why others would decline our invitation. Don't decline other people's invitations for them, right? Give them that opportunity. And don't let the lines of this world divide up your guest list. If you never have anyone in your home who doesn't look like you and talk like you and think relatively like you, you may be missing the mark a little bit on this command. Right? Think about the last you know, two dozen people to set foot in your home. Right? If they all look just like you, if they all talk just like you, come from basically the same life stage, same generation, you may need to think about expanding that guest list a little bit. I want to give a special word of encouragement to anybody in our family here at Midlands that would consider, consider themselves the older crowd, right? I'll let you self-identify in that. I don't even put a number on that. Uh, I usually feel like the youngest person in the room, except when I come to Midlands, and you guys call me an elder. And so uh, it's all pretty relative, right? Um, but if you're, if you're older than most in this room, there's going to be a temptation for you to think, because you're in the generational minority in this particular family, they don't want to hang out with me. They've all got each other. They've all got their things. They do their stuff. And, and that's... I'm just not in that, in that crowd. But let me just be honest with you. We, if I can pretend to be one of the younger ones for a moment, desperately need you. Right? I, I remember when Shai and I were in college, in our, in our early years of marriage, we spent so much time in the homes of about three families in our church. And we draw on the blessings of that time almost on a daily basis. I mean, our words to our children, our communication with one another, just the way we think of our home. It's been so shaped by older people who were not like us, who, who didn't have a whole lot to offer us in their own mind, I'm sure, who just opened their home and just let us come in and be a part of it. He said, don't, don't shortchange yourself in terms of what you have to offer the rest of us. Likewise, if you're in the younger crowd, don't think that means you have to be the guest at all times, right? It, we all live somewhere. We all can invite somebody into something. And so, again, don't let these insecurities kind of divide up the people whom you think you might be able to show hospitality to. 
Again, just think about those verses. Show hospitality to one another. That certainly includes everybody in your church family. And then show hospitality to strangers. Well, that seems to include everybody else as far as I can tell, right? So we need to be thinking about how to be hospitable to all. So among these challenges, we've got expenses, we've got limitations, we've got insecurities, and then a, and then a final issue we might mention is apathy. I think there's a reason why Peter says in 1 Peter 4, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, right? Here's the reality. Often it's our attitudes, not our circumstances or our limited resources, that are the biggest hurdle to biblical hospitality. We have to get over ourselves in some way and recognize this is hard. It requires commitment. And some of us are going to fail simply because we're caught up in other things. Not that we're off deep in immorality. We're just busy in our lives. We're not opposed to loving our neighbors. We're not opposed to loving the people in our church family. We just have lots of other things that we are doing. And we forget. We fail to make time. We're, we fail to be intentional. And so, again, I want to just remind us of verse 7. I, I think that's so important for understanding this command. The end of all things is at hand. Right? Uh, that's a warning. Let's make the most of the time we have because we can't count on tomorrow. We don't know how long we'll be in that neighborhood and have the opportunity to minister to those neighbors. We don't know how long we'll be in this church family and have the opportunity to minister to these people. You don't know how long you're going to be in your workplace and have the opportunity to invite those people into your home. So let's be strategic. The end of all things is at hand. That's a warning, but that's also a promise to those who are in Christ. Right? Because we have the hope of an eternity with Jesus to hold on to, we can be open-handed with our time and money and resources now. Hey, we're going to get rid of it all soon anyway, and we have something so much better in store for us. So ultimately, we aim at hospitality because God himself is a hospitable God. We saw that in Romans 15 a couple weeks ago. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Right? So we're not just trying to be friendly. We're not just trying to set some goals and, and have some people over. We're actually trying to image God who has come to us and welcomed us to his table. And think about what Jesus was accused of in the Gospels. He's accused of being a glutton and a companion of sinners. Why? Because he spent so much time in people's homes interacting with them, sharing meals with them. Think about those parables where he compares the kingdom of God to throwing parties and hosting feasts. Right? It, it points us forward to this day described in Revelation when we'll sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. History itself will culminate in a wedding feast, and Christ will host his people for all eternity. So every act of hospitality in this life is a tiny preview of that day, and that gives us all the more reason to pursue it. I love, um, I love the Lord of the Rings, uh, but one of my favorite kind of images in the Lord of the Rings is Rivendell, and, and specifically Elrond's house in Rivendell. If you remember that, it's called the Last Homely House East of the Sea. Uh, here on this side of the pond, we use the word homely as a synonym for ugly. That's not what Tolkien meant. In England, homely means home-like. It actually makes a lot more sense. Uh, it's like driving on the wrong side of the road. Um, homely to Tolkien meant home-like. It's home-ish. 
it feels like home, right? So the last homely house east of the sea. On your journey away from the Shire, this is the last time you're going to feel at home. And on your journey back, this is the first preview of the home that awaits you. Now listen to how Tolkien describes it. This was uh, uh, his description kind of quoting Bilbo Baggins um, from The Hobbit, but this is in Fellowship of the Ring. He says, that house, talking about Elrond's house, he says, that house was a perfect house. Whether you like food or sleep or storytelling or singing or just sitting and thinking best or a pleasant mixture of them all, merely to be there was a cure for weariness, fear, and sadness. There's, there's something in each and every one of our hearts that longs for that kind of home. Right? There's something in each of our hearts that recognizes we are far beyond the land where we want to be. And anything that just sort of gives a preview and a little, a little hope of a homely place in our future, it, it captures us in some way. We long to be welcomed. We long to be taken in as we are. We long to meet someone who would come and say, have a seat, have a drink, let's tell stories, let's think best. Let's enjoy one another's company and let's anticipate a day when we will do this forever in the homeliest home that we could possibly imagine. That that's the kind of home that awaits us as believers and it's the kind of place we want to welcome others into in this life. That's why we want to seek to show hospitality to one another. As we take communion this morning, uh, we're going to be remembering that do we have communion this morning, Hart? Okay. Can you tell me where it is? It's not beneath the flowers. It will magically appear. Okay. Um, awesome. Uh, if we take communion this morning. Um, as we take communion this morning, uh, the table that we will gather around, it, it, it's that weekly reminder of this table to come, right? Uh, we, we gather around it as a family, as, as really just an expression of hope, in the day when we will gather around that marriage feast of the Lamb. Uh, so, so I'm going to pray for us. I'm told communion is on its way. And uh, once I'm, I'm done praying, the, the band will start playing, and, and you're welcome to, to come up here and, and take of the, the bread and the juice uh, on your own. Um, if, if you're with us this morning and, and you're a Christian, if you, if you would consider yourself to be a person who's hoping in this home to come, uh, you're welcome to take communion with us. Uh, if you're here today and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ, uh, we, you are welcome to be here. We're glad you're here, and, and I hope you would feel welcome in our homes at any time. Uh, but this table is a sacred space. I don't mean specifically this table. I just mean the, the communion table as we gather around it. it. It's an act of faith for us to get up and walk down an aisle and, and take of the bread and, and remember the sacrifice of our Lord. So, we would ask you just simply not to participate in that if, if that's not true of you, if you're not hoping in those things. Instead, let me invite you to think about that part of you that gets excited when you hear about the homely house. I, I think that's more than just good literature right there. That's, that's more than just a good description of a nice place. There's something in that that strikes a chord in our soul. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might ask yourself this morning, why does my heart leap a little bit in thinking about a place where I would be welcomed and find a refuge? And could it be because I'm 
created for just the kind of home that he's been describing. And if you'd like to talk more about that, any, any of us in here would be glad to talk to you more. So let me pray for us, and then we'll enjoy communion together. Lord, thank you that you are a good father to us and a father who opens his arms graciously and compassionately. Thank you that you are willing to welcome us as we are. Thank you, Lord, we do not have to clean ourselves up first. Uh, we do not have to uh, make ourselves right and, and get ourselves in order before we can come to you, but we come to you as we are. Uh, we come to you hopeless and you fill us with hope. We come to you broken and you repair us, Lord. We come to you lonely and afraid and far from you. And you, by your grace, draw us near. Father, thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross as a payment for our sins. Thank you that uh, he has come into this world to make restitution for us on our behalf before you. Thank you that he was risen from the dead to give us hope in this life. And thank you that we can hope in and anticipate a day when he will come again and he will welcome us home. Help us to hope in that day and help us to live like we hope in that day by offering up our own homes as small previews along the way for weary travelers and broken strangers and exhausted friends and people we, we know and love. Lord, help us to be a hospitable people. We pray these things in Jesus' name.